0: Talking and I'm not and I'm just. <gasps> and then I'm. Match, <laughs> no, <laughs>
1: boy wait, no, wait. I have something for him. Boom.
0: You get shot down. Now he
1: just fucking. Me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm
2: just wondering why all these people like kids.
1: The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on this Wow. So,
2: FYI, there's nothing wrong She got, she got killed. She got, God, she bro. Got
0: killed. Yeah. Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of the Weird History Imitos Podcast. I'm your host, Moses Soria, with to my left, Achi. Yep. And then to, to the right of me, we have Maluma. Maluma, baby! Oh my
2: god, there it is, yeah, baby. It was my brother we're going? What's up, guys? What's up, guys?
0: He came back from the death and he's like, fuck it, I'm gonna be a new person and dyed his hair blonde. Yep, it's Maluma, top baby. Of my hair. Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. Did you,
1: did you bleach your asshole too?
0: Yeah, Duh. <laughs> A combo, baby! You can't bleach your hair and not bleach your asshole.
2: He was, come on! He was like, you want the number come on, one, ladies? Help me out here. You
1: want the number one? You want the number two? He was, want ble- the two, two.
0: He was bleaching his asshole, and then he's like, "You know what? I should probably bleach my hair too." <laughs> yeah. Just Damn. one long white. Oh All right, man. This is gross. We don't want to be talking about this shit. Okay. <laughs> Instead, what we're going to be talking about. Yep. Is uh, this is part two of our Albert Fish series. So last week, uh, I said that was going to be a two-part series. Yeah. I lied. <laughs> it's a lie, He's a phony. <laughs> I lied. It's gonna be three parts, man. Trap. This is a lot. This is a lot. It's a lot. I thought I was gonna be able to cover it, and I was. It, it would have been a two-parter, but then I would have skipped a lot of shit that we're gonna talk about today. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was that's important to kind of piece to piece together the picture of fucking Albert Fish. You know what I mean? Since last week, it was a lot. It was pretty gross. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty gross. It's so a huge setup, bro. A yeah, huge setup. And part three is gonna be partly just as gross, if not even grosser part two, hmm. today's episode, it's going to be a little timid compared to the other episodes. Well, all right. Yeah. all right. Well, compared to episode one.
1: So we're going to take a break. A little break. from the Yeah. Th-
0: yeah. A little break. And again, uh, this series couldn't have been possible without today's uh, source. Deranged, the shocking true story of America's most fiendish killer by Harold Schechter. Uh, the YouTube video, again, you guys can uh, check it out in our show notes. Same thing with the book. You can check out the sources for today's episode on our episode show notes. So we last left off with Fish confessing to King about what happened to Grace. How he took her to an abandoned house in Winchester and proceeded to choke her and sit on her chest until she died. Then he undressed her and chopped her body into multiple pieces. Mm -hmm. So remember... Where we left off, Kink showed up to the to Stein's office. Stein, Stein is the cap, is the captain of the Missing Persons Bureau. Remember they showed up and he was out to eat lunch. Yeah. That's when we heard the story. So now, Captain Stein, he arrived. Like I said, he's the head, miss, he's the head of the Missing Persons Bureau and his office they were currently in. So yeah. he he introduced himself to Fish and asked if he was willing to make an official statement regarding Grace. Fish said absolutely. So with a stenographer in the room, Stein began interrogating Fish, first asking simple questions like what's your how old are you, when were you born, your current address, and your occupation. And it was with this last question about his occupation that Fish answered he was a painter, which he was, but mostly in a laborer sense and not in an artist kind of way. Like he did paint a set of angels once in a church, but because of this, Albert Fish being a painter and artist became part of his lore and sort of kind of romanticized him in a weird way. Like, if you would look him up, you'd see when people look up Albert Fish, they'd be like, oh, painter, this, this, and that. He wasn't really... He was, exaggerated. This was He's painting. Exaggerated. He was painting buildings. He was painting fences. That's kind of the shit he was doing. Yeah. Once, he did paint them angels and some church. like That was it. That was it. Like, that was it. So he said he married in 1888 and had six children with his wife, but that they have long been separated. Stein then turned his attention to the crime and Fish once again repeated the same story that he told King. King asked Fish if he told anyone about what he did to Grace.
3: Not a living soul. My own children have no idea. They read about the case in the paper like everyone else.
0: Stein then pulled out the My Dear letter he sent out to the Buds and asked him to sign the back of the letter with his full name.
3: What was your purpose of writing this letter? I don't know. Just reading some books, something such as that. I just had a mania for writing. Do you remember what was in the letter? That there was a famine in China and that human bodies had been consumed for food.
0: Fish then explained to Stein that he'd like to collect newspaper clippings and a satchel in his room, some that dealt with people who used human bodies for food after the war was over. Captain Stein then sent over an officer to Fish's residence to retrieve the satchel as evidence. So it was now 5 p.m. and off they went to Westchester County. The lead car carried Sergeant Thomas, Jay Hamill, and Hugh Sheridan of the Mission's Pearl Bureau and in the other car was Chief John Stein driving, and sitting behind him were Detective King and Inspector John Ryan, with Albert Fish sitting, bitch. Mm. So they had Albert Fish sitting in the center of the two detectives in the back seat. They I were in, sitting, bitch. He, he ain't. In,
3: <laughs> you ain't going nowhere.
0: King spent. It's like sit on his dick. King spent six years. What? Cause he's out on grace. <laughs> King wow. spent six years. S- traveled over 50,000 miles. You think he's going to let him out of his fucking sight? Like, fuck no. He's like, fuck you. You're sitting right next to me. So it took them over an hour to reach the murder house. But before they made their way inside, King walked up to the neighbor's house. And after a moment, the neighbor joined them with a pick and shovel in hand. So with everyone out of the car and Hamill lining the way with like a portable emergency lamp, they, they they call it a lamp, but it was basically a fucking car headlight <laughs> attached to a car battery that they were walking around <laughs> with. A lamp? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That was their lamp, Boy. and they made their way to the cottage. So fish, he started leading them around the house and pointing out the grim landmarks of his crime.
3: Here's where I left Grace picking wildflowers. Here is where I found the five gallon paint can. Back there is where I stuffed Grace's shoes. And here is where I concealed her blood drenched head under newspapers.
0: So it took them over two hours, and the night was only getting darker and colder. So they were in the backyard. Fish was just later walking around, like, yep, that's where I did this. That's where I found this. Like, this is what happened. It's so crazy that he's
1: just like letting them know, like, yep, I did this. That's what I do.
0: And then, so Fish then led them inside the house and he continued to point, and he continued to start pointing out what he did in the house to the police. (laughs) they are not even
1: asking him anymore. They're just like, let's just walk around. Tell us what you got. That's
0: basically, they were just following him around. He was just pointing up, like, this right to this, this is right to that.
3: Here's where I unwrapped my cleaver, saw, and knife. Here's where I called out to Grace. Here is where I jumped out at her and grabbed her by the throat. And this is a corner where I left her body before I decided to dispose of it outside.
1: He's he's basically like a fucking, like those dogs that go in to search?
0: And the the creepy part was, the house was dark, so they had the light on him, right? And as he was pointing out what he did to Grace, he was bending down on his knees like, this is the position I was in, waiting for her. (laughs) What the fuck? This is how I jumped out into the hallway. He's
1: reenacting everything. He's having a fucking shit show of a blast.
0: So, like I said, the house was dark as shit, no electricity, but Fish kept walking around the room, reenacting his crime. Hamill kept the light on Fish, like some sort of spotlight, and it took a few minutes for Fish to complete his macabre tour inside the house. Then he took the police outside to the backyard, where he laid Grace's dismembered body, which was disgustingly reassembled, do you remember from his confession? Remember when he confessed, he's like, yep, I, to- I cut it into a few pieces, and then I was like, No, nah, I feel bad, let me go to the backyard, and let me put it... A- Body back together and he just kind of just laid the body together on the floor like some sort of fucking like Frankenstein would have done with his monster. So they walked up the hill behind the house to the old stone wall. He couldn't really say exactly where he left the body, but he was sure they were in the general area considering the distance from the house. So with the pick and shovel Frank Kudney, which was the neighbor, King and Stein began to dig. It only took about a few minutes for them to dig up a piece of fabric. As they were digging, Fish made his way further down the hill about 50 feet when he called the police to get down to where he was at, that they were too far up the hill. So they started to dig where Fish pointed out to and within a few minutes, King dug up a human skull. It was weathered, which showed it had been laying around for quite some time, and its size made it really clear that it was a skull of a young child. They put the skull back where they found it. So back in the city, news spread like wildfire about Fish's confession and the police headquarters was swarmed by a mob of reporters. At around 8pm, the commissioner Louis J. Valentine, he was addressing the crowd outside and he confirmed that they did have a suspect in custody and that he also had made a full confession. He then passed out copies of a typed transcript of Fish's statement to Captain Stein. Damn. So the crowd started shouting out questions. Had the buds had the buds been notified? Had had they identified the suspect. Where was the suspect now? They were just asking him a bunch of questions. Everything. And the commissioner, he was beginning to answer the mob's questions when, in the middle of it, he was informed in front of everybody that Grace's Bud's head had been found in the woods behind the Wisteria Cottage. Damn. So back in the Wisteria Cottage, King and Stein had uncovered enough bones to say they found Grace's missing corpse. Now it was time to notify the local authorities. Fish was cuffed to King as they made their way to the car with Stein. Sergeant Sheridan was to stay behind and call the local police so he and Sheridan could assist the Greenberg police. So King arrived back to the police station, but they made their way through a side door to avoid the mob of reporters. After putting in a call to the DA's office, King sent one of his men across the street to get them coffee and sandwiches while they waited. So 10 p.m. came and the DA attorney, Francis Morrow, he showed up with a stenographer. and Once again, Fish told the same story he had been telling all day. Except this time, adding a little more detail to his story. Like this time, he described how much blood Grace's hair had soaked up when he had finished decapitating her body and how hard it had been to chop through her spine because of how dull it his cleaver was.
2: God
0: damn. When he was describing that movement, I mean, when he was describing him cutting through his spine, he just looked up at them and it was like, it was a lot of work. Like, <sighs> kind of like,
1: kind like, like, of like. You wouldn't know.
0: Kinda, <laughs> no, like kind of complaining about it. Like, like, dude, it's it was, like whoa, dude, it dude, it yeah. took a long time to yeah. fucking do this, you know? That sick fuck. So when asked if he had raped Grace, Fish replied that the thought never even entered his head. Then, when he was asked what made him choke her and kill her.
3: I'd been reading a lot of cases of children being kidnapped. I had a brother who served five years in the US Navy. He was the oldest of my mother's seven children. Walter H. Fish was his name. He had been to China when there was a famine, when they were using human flesh for food. He used to tell us a lot of these things and that got into my head.
0: So the DA was satisfied with his answer and finally asked Fish how he felt. Much better. So by night's end, he had been interrogated over three times, everyone asking him about every little detail about the murder except one major thing. King nor Stein nor the DA asked Fish if he really did eat Grace. During his confession, he willingly admitted that he did have a fascination for cannibalism. But nobody outright asked Fish if he chopped Grace's body and taken the meat to his room and finished her off in nine days. Nobody asked, and Fish never said a word about it.
1: So it's just they're going based off of the letter because that's where he said it, right?
0: Yeah, because, well, remember, that's the the only time he confessed about the cannibalism. Right, right, right. So when they got him and did his interrogation. He never mentioned it. He never mentioned cannibalism. The right. only time he ever mentioned cannibalism was in, in the China. letter, and nobody asked. Either,
2: but nobody so, asked
1: him. Yeah. So to this day, we don't know if he really did eat her. What the body fuck? Come on, that's like one. Or if he, bro, it's in the letter. The, the brain, like you, and, you would ask him. And he, and at this point, he's a type of he's an open book. Like if you if you tell him anything, he'll confess.
0: That's almost the most fucked up part about the whole thing.
1: Yeah, like yeah.
0: He, that, that he ate her.
2: I'm pretty sure he did, cause his guilt. Like he was, I mean, the reason why he wrote that letter was to give quote unquote closure yeah. to the family. Uh-huh. And I, I doubt he would just make up shit during, during that letter. You know? Yeah. And he, I mean, it's a shame nobody asked. Maybe nobody did. I don't know. Maybe they felt yeah. uncomfortable asking, but I doubt it. Cause they're, you know, yeah, they're, they're, that's a blow interrogation. Yeah. That's what I was going to so. ask.
1: like, uh, I mean, uh, this entire time when they were saying all this stuff before they actually went to the Winchester house. Yeah. um, the, were the DAs and the cops and everyone like, were they all just like believing word for word what he was saying? Yeah. And just like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And then when they saw the body, they're like, okay, I guess he's fucking legit. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Cause yeah. like the story he's telling, it's fucking nuts. So like for for so, him to like openly just say, this yeah. is what I'm doing. This is where it was, you know, I'm crawling over here, fucking doing backstand handstands over here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's one of the that's things real. we, we will never know. Yeah. We will never know if he actually did eat her. Or if he didn't,
1: yeah, one job, detectives.
0: We're gonna talk about it later on in the next episode. He did write one letter the night be the right before he was about to be electrocuted. Mm-hmm. He wrote one letter and he wanted it to be read, and they never read it. They're like the shit that he wrote in here is so disgusting that I'm not gonna read it to. And nobody needs to hear or- any of this. And no one knows what's in that letter to this day. To this day. How do you know we don't want to hear it? I want to hear it. I want to hear it. So around midnight, the Buds were awakened by a knock on their door. Damn. Albert Bud, the father, went to answer, and he was met by a reporter Asking him if he
1: had heard the news. Wow, the reporter let him know, not even the detectives? That's fucked up. Well,
0: the detectives are still busy doing everything. Oh. You know what I mean? They're, they're kind of busy. So they still have fish with them. They're giving out statements. They just got back from the Wisteria they house. just found a statement of something else that just happened literally in the moment.
1: Yeah. That's true. That's
0: so true. the reporter came, knocked on the door, and Albert Bud's like, what news? And he's like, the arrest of the man who kidnapped Grace. So, he, so Albert invited the reporter who broke the news to the whole family. It's so like, move, bitch. Within half an hour, the apartment was mobbed with reporters who were taking statements and pictures of the Bud family. Mrs. Bud was sitting on her table, sipping her tea, and she was doing a shitty job at pretending the way a mother of a murdered child should act. But after six years, could you blame her? Her accepting her daughter was dead must have muted any sorrow she should have shown. It took a cameraman to ask her to pose with a picture of Grace pretending to wipe a tear from her obvious dry eyes. She even half-assed a threat
1: when they showed her a picture of a fish. That dirty bum. I wish I had him here so I could get my hands on him. The way they described her is that
0: she acted like they just told her, like, oh, um, I didn't bring your milk. Sorry, your. She was just like, okay.
2: Well, they caught the guy that stole your fucking bag of milk.
0: Yeah, like yeah. she wasn't acting like a distraught mother. She was just sipping on the table, like just drinking tea. And when someone was near her, after she would act like she was like sobbing. But like if no one was near her and reporters just looking at her, she was just like doing. She was just like anything else. Yeah, like anything else. Although it's
2: been like six years, and you'll be like, oh, do you blame? Like it's still memory that. When brought up, even six, ten years yeah, later, yeah, it like should it, it should hit you, should, hit you somehow. Yeah, it should hit you somehow. She, she give him the K, but she's just like, all right, she's done and uh, time to move on. Yeah, they
1: told her she's like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, and
0: they're like,
2: that's good news.
0: Really, yeah. And then like when, even when they asked her like, unless
2: she's not okay, I, uh, the loss like, of her fucking daughter just made became, her just emotionally just fucking.
0: We're gonna find out what she's what, done. We're gonna find out what actually happens when you're not okay. She's not you listen on to my like, chemical romance. Oh Well <sighs> you gotta go there. <laughs> yeah, so like they like they, she she was just acting like nothing she was just acting nowhere near what you've expected a mother to act. She wasn't. She was just like sipping her. She was sentimental. She was just when a reporter had to ask her, "Hey, you want to look sad for a picture?" She's like, (laughs) "You want to look sad? Yeah, like you want to look sad. Can we take a picture of you looking sad?" And she's like, "Well, what do you want me to do? Dry off this." uh, Yeah, so he's like fake tear. She's like, she she literally is like, "Well, what do you want me to do?" He's like, "Grab a picture of your daughter." She's like, "Okay, bitch, be sad." Yeah, he's like, "Can you? Can't you be sad?" He's like, like, "Can you act sad a little bit?" She's like, "Okay." And she grabbed her handkerchief and put it to her eye like she's wiping, but like she ain't crying. <laughs> Reporters like hey, put some water in this bitch's face. Actually, you, like <laughs> I think this bitch is crazy. So if you guys want to see that picture, go to our Instagram. Weird history. He would tell Spawn. You
1: could you could kind of guess like all right maybe she's crying maybe 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 like a hard maybe. <laughs> but Mister Bud on the other hand, oh he was like oh what did he say what did he say what did Bud Bud say?
0: He was in the living room describing the day they took his daughter. Again and again, as if he was telling a story that he couldn't actually believe happened. Damn. He too didn't express any strong emotions to the news, but he seemed less like a person who had done his grieving, but sounded like a man who had been stunned into a permanent state of shock. While the reporters took pictures and notes, he kept whispering to himself over and over and over again.
2: Seemed all right to let her go. He seemed like such a
0: decent man.
1: Man, that the sound of regret, and over dude. and
0: over and over. God damn. Yeah, he was just sitting on the couch. He was and in shock. Everyone was just yeah. walking around. They weren't even talking to him, but they could hear him We'd just be just like, it Seemed all right to let her go. Damn.
2: Damn. He was just yeah.
1: like a decent man. It's an internal regret, a decent bro. Man. Yeah. A decent man. So around 1 a.m. What is this, bed limb all over again? What the fuck? <laughs>
0: That's, people still listen to that fucking episode. It's so our top ten listen episode of the fucking
1: month. Yeah, when you're done with this episode, go ahead and go to to our, our, our one of our last episodes, the Bedlam Hospital.
0: That's one of our first. It's like episode four.
1: It is. No. Oh. Episode three was the, the Sinusana Sinusana. Sinusana.
0: Yeah, so 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 it was after uh, so it was around one AM. King finally showed up to the Bud's house and he drove Edward and Mr. Bud to the police headquarters stopping by for willie on the way bud was first let into the stein's office to see if he could recognize the man that took his sister mr king he didn't take mrs bud with him he left her at the house not only to not only to take care of beatrice and the other boy but because remember in the last episode she could, she, she thought every old she thought everybody was fucking That's frank true. howard That's so true. She's like she's super unreliable we can yeah. she's a dick witness we're not going to bring her she's a what a dick witness A what a dick witness. Mm. Was- Y'all heard that? She's a dick witness.
2: She's
1: a dry ass dick witness. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. a
0: yeah. She's a dummy gummy of a witness, bro.
1: <laughs> so Ed
0: walked into the office, and as soon as he made his way inside, several officers moved away from the desk where Fish was sitting. It's him. Ed then rushed through a few officers straight for Fish, and yelling the whole time, "You old bastard, dirty son of a bitch!" He sounds. He sa- He sound like he's fucking Popeye. You know what I mean? Why, yada, yeah, yeah, why, yada, bitch. Edward was grabbed by a few police officers who struggled to wrestle him out of the room and away from fish. Then Mr. Budd walked into the room, walked straight over to the old man, and stood over him.
1: Don't you know me? Yes you're Mr. Butt. And you're the fucking man who came to my house as a guest and took my little girl away. So, this whole scene plays out in like
0: fucking 20 seconds. They open the door. That's it. Edward like like Edward at this at this point he's 20 years old. He's tw- yeah, he's 20. He's like 20 22, 23. Well, he was 14, right? He was eight And
2: then 6 years later. He was
0: 18. Oh, well, well, he was eighteen. Who was 18? Seven, he was seventeen, going on oh, eighteen. Okay, okay, okay. So he's like twenty three. Ed, Ed, Edward, his oh, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like twenty four at this point, like twenty four. Yeah. And the said he's a full grown man. Mm-hmm. He's just a full grown adult. Mm-hmm. And he opens the door, and, and when he as he flies toward fish, he's in the air. Like he didn't rush. He just launched himself at at fucking fish. And it took the six police officers in there to grab him by his arms. And drag him out. Well, that dude
2: was big when he was 17, dude.
0: Reached 24, that's
2: where he's... His yoke. Yeah.
0: So, Mr. Bud's voice broke, and he began to cry silently. King placed an arm around his shoulder and led him from the room. By this time, Fisher's police record had been dug out of the file, where they saw his rap sheet started over 30 years ago. (laughs) Damn, 30 years ago. He had been arrested multiple times after Grace Bud had been abducted and he was charged with larceny and vagrancy to sending those dirty little letters. Three of these arrests happened within the next three months after he killed Grace. How crazy is that,
2: bro? Knowing that you had him already,
1: but you didn't know you had him. I thought was just like some random dude.
0: King had spent over six years looking for Albert Fish, and the whole time he was coming in and out of the New York City police's hands, over and over and over again. Damn. Remember, he went. Af- he was in Florida. Yeah. He was in Long Island. He was fucking searching everywhere. And the whole time, he was coming in and out of the New York City police jail. I'll be mad as out, fuck, bro. Out, how out. mad was
1: King? Huh? Why watch well, be like, heady out and stuff? Oh, it's Fish again. What's up, Fish? Well, remember, that's how it was. Remember when he sent the
0: letter, people were like, oh, it's fucking Fish again. He's sending these letters. And they went straight to him. where at his <laughs> job. They knew where he was working at.
1: Yeah and fuck they, they didn't that connection was never they made. just
0: didn't connect Damn. it like i mean who would have thought no one did no Sever, yeah so several members of the media managed to track down some official's family including albert jr the next day so the next day jr was awakened by a bunch of reporters who were outside his home telling them of his father's arrest
1: that old skunk i knew something like this would happen sooner or later
0: Junior explained that while they lived together, Fish was starting to show signs of extremely disturbed behavior. That he would often wake up in the middle of the night,
3: screaming
0: terribly, and other times he would wake up, get naked, and begin whipping himself.
1: Once, a woman said he had taken her little girl into an empty apartment and removed his clothes. I want nothing to do with him, and I won't do anything to help him.
0: Everyone's just chilling in his front yard. He's still in his fucking bathrobe, whatever. And Junior, and they were getting ready to leave when Junior asked the reporters, What was the name of the girl he murdered? Several of them answered at the same time. They're like, Grace. Grace Bud. Oh
1: my God. That's a name he used to scream out in his sleep. Bro, she was haunting the fuck out
0: of fish, bro. Remember, we read in episode one yeah. that he would wake I'm up gonna screaming, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tell mama. Like, oh, yeah. grace. So now it's early Friday morning, December 14th. The Greenberg Police Department began to dig up the Wisteria Cottage, which was surrounded by a large crowd of people. Everyone from young children in their winter coat to men wearing top coats and fedoras—they all roam the property for clues and souvenirs. When I was reading, when they were explaining, when they're explaining the scene, the police didn't close off the fucking house. They didn't put no tape. They, the police are digging the fucking—they're digging trenches looking for bones, and the neighbors are just walking over them trying to pick up shit for them to keep. I'm like, what the fuck is going? Don't they close things off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The police are in the backyard. People are running in and out of the house, taking shit. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, I found a dead body. Like, I don't. Have you found anything? I don't know <laughs> if this wasn't like police protocol back then. Because remember, it's still the twenties, so yeah, I don't know how, yeah. like how how strict things were. Yeah, but like, yeah. The way they described the scene is Whoa, like oh, lesson learned.
1: Which <laughs> right after, after that era. day,
0: they're like, you know what?
2: We need some tape around this bitch. <laughs> We yeah, got to like, take these motherfuckers out of here. Then they
0: didn't want to tell these people to stop. Make sure it's bright yellow, too. Yeah, like, like there were some police officers who were trying who were trying to look for somebody, you know, like a lieutenant or the DA, yeah. and they're in the top coat, but the neighbor's in the t- top coat, too. They go up to him, like, oh, it's not Bob, fucking you, Bob. but he's there, He's like, he's there just watching them with his hands while they're, he like, explaining like, like, bones. It was just weird. It was weird. It was, like, heck, it was just really weird. <laughs> they're asking the neighbors, did you find anything? No? All right, nah. keep looking. Remember, they started at eight in the morning. By nine thirty, they had dug up eleven vertebrae,
1: oh.
0: plus bones from the pelvis, thighs, lower legs, upper arms, and hands. All sizes that left no doubt that these were the bones of a prepubescent. Hmm. They had so many bones that they had to ask a neighbor for a picnic basket to store them all in. This was a when you think of a picnic basket, you know those. Ext- those big ass ones you see in like the- in the movies, those straw ones, those straw, exactly. Oh, big ass, oh they were big, big, full of bones, full of grace.
1: Neighbors, <laughs> 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 and- <laughs> like, can not <I> keep them? <laughs>
0: no, bitch. well, the funny part is, they were just throwing them in there, and as the pl- and you know, they were just throwing all the bones just so they could keep them stacked up somewhere, yeah, yeah. And when uh, the coroner uh, people ended up showing up, they had. They threw all the bones in like in a police official bag. Oh, okay. And the Jews, they just dusted the basket and gave it back to the neighbor. Like it was just filled with like 40 bones of a dead child. <laughs> Thanks for the help, man. Thank you for your service. That's literally what they told her. Like, Thank you. She's like, no, you're like, no
1: problem. God damn it, Joe. We're supposed to be using this for our picnic later. So while one county was digging for bones, back in New York,
0: Albert Fish was being interrogated once again. Where is she? At 9 a.m., he was taken from his cell and into the lineup room. The room was filled with police and other law enforcement officials to even local celebrities, like the wife of the former New York governor. Ooh, wow. Captain Thomas Dugan or Duggan was taking over the questioning, and he pulled no punches. Off the bat, he asked Fish, why did he take the bud girl and murder her? Fish, who was standing on a platform, had to stand on his tiptoes to answer the questions into the mic.
3: I don't know. It just occurred to me. He spoke in like his
0: infamous soft-spoken voice that, with even with a microphone, many in the ground had trouble hearing him. I don't know. So the it so like occurred. this is ASMR. What the fuck? <laughs> So the way the room was set up is there was just a platform on one side of the wall with steps. So they walk up and that's where they'd put all the lineups. Uh-huh. People and, and people were, were on the level floor, kind of like a stage, kind of like you like see in a band. Yeah. You're on the floor and they're on stage, right? So that's where Albert was. Albert was on stage and they were asking him questions, but he was too short. We had to like stand on his tiptoes to like answer the question. You got to lower the mic for me? And like, even with the microphone... People couldn't hear him. He was answering, and people were like, "What? <laughs> like, <laughs> what did he say?" Like, I can just picture one of those things where, like, like they're all just chilling, whatever. And then he starts answering. Everyone in the room just leans in leans at the same in. thing, trying to hear what he's trying to hear what he says. Damn. So the captain, he did not relent, and he and he kept asking fish question after question after question, as if he was just shooting from the hip, waiting for a specific answer. the kind of questions he was asking him was like did you have trouble with the Fish family did you have anything to do with any other child of murder and for the fourth time asked Fish why he had killed Grace Fish kept his answers short and concise and answered them like he had the previous 100 times before
3: I didn't intend to kill her I intended to kill her brother Edward I didn't have any trouble with the buds, nor did I have ever had anything to do with another child.
0: So the interrogation only lasted for a few minutes, and then he was escorted back by King. The reporters then mobbed the crowd of attendees and asked for their opinions on the whole case. While this was going outside, the district attorney also had some questions for Fish.
1: Religion plays a large part in your life. Or am I wrong? Yes. Then you realize that you, what you did to Grace was against the commandments? Yes, sir. Which commandment? Don't kill. Thou shall not kill. Yes, sir. Do you know the others? Thou
3: shall not commit adultery or steal.
1: So you knew you sinned when you did it? Yes. And then you went there? Prepared to kill? Yes, sir. I was prepared. You had intentions of doing it on the boy? Yes, sir. But when you could not get the boy, you took the girl then? Yes, sir. I
3: thought it was a boy for a moment.
1: Did you get a sexual pleasure
3: from doing what you did? No, sir. No, sir. No sex at
1: all. I did not outrage her. Did you have to keep Hacking away to get the head off? Yes, sir. Did much blood fall? Yes. After you got the head off, what did you do? I cut her through the navel. Did you notice the intestines? Yes,
3: sir. It looked like one thing wrapped around another. So the interrogation
0: was over by 10.30 in the morning and even though Fish said there was nothing sexual about the killing, the district attorney declared that this was a sex case.
1: What? Clear and <laughs> what the fuck?
0: This motherfucker just said, "I didn't." Did you rape her? No. no. Did you think about raping her? No. Did you get hard when you when you killed her? No. Okay, this was a sex case. <laughs> 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 Who are these new dudes? They're, they're <laughs> the district role. attorney. So the district attorney then spoke to reporters and told them that even though Fish denied sex was the motive, that they were currently working on a theory that Fish had committed multiple sexual crimes to back up the ruling. He also let them know that a few minutes before stepping out, he was informed that back at the Wisteria house, dozens of human bones had already been found and that they were on their way to recovering Grace's complete skeleton damn. Back at the Wisteria House while removing floorboards from multiple rooms, They found many, they found a lot of bones. It got so ridiculous that Dr. Aim also was at the scene to help the police, he ordered a random floorboard to be lifted for the basement, and there too was a bone. A
2: man such as Fish would be apt to commit more murders. And what better place to stash the bodies than underneath the basement floor? And what are the odds? that I would casually lift one floorboard and find a bone if the ground was not littered with them. We would take no chances in view of Fish's confession. There is no telling what else he has done of a criminal nature, to which he has not confessed. That he wanted to kill others is evident in the fact that he intended to kill Edward Budd, the victim's brother, but changed his mind only when he saw the little girl
0: so now many were speculating fish's involvement in other crimes while this was going on in manhattan fish was held without bail since grace had been kidnapped in manhattan but murdered in westchester the question of where and for which crime fish would be tried for was being consulted so when fish was taken out of the courtroom he was mobbed by reporters and cameramen he, po- he posed for pictures all while he was being bombarded
3: with questions about other unsolved child cases. You might as well accuse me of all of them. You can't do any more damage. One name, though, kept coming up
0: again and again. Billy Gaffney, the four-year-old who had vanished from his Brooklyn home the year before Grace Bud was killed. Later that day, it was found that Fish was going to stay in Westchester until a murder indictment was returned on him. King was returned to his cell, waiting for a transfer, when Police Inspector Harold King, who was no relation to our big dick detective, was just another dude named King, arrived to question Fish about a few high-profile unsolved cases
1: in Long Island. The first was the kidnapping and the killing of 16-year-old high school student named Mary O'Connell, whose bludgeoned body had been discovered in the woods near her home in February of 1932. And the second was the murder of a man named Benjamin B. Collins, who had been slain on board his yacht in Long Island in 1931.
0: So right now, Fish, he's like the big dude, the, the big murderer guy. So police from everywhere are like, oh, whoa. To link him to that case Yeah, like, let's, let's give it, see, it a shot. Yeah, let's give it a shot. And he... <laughs> so, Fish, he was interviewed for over an hour, but Fish denied any involvement with the crimes. Then, as soon as he left, Captain Stein and a few of his men started interrogating Fish about the disappearance of Billy Gaffney. But Fish kept saying he was innocent of that crime. Stein was starting to suspect that Fish was responsible for not only the Gaffney crime, but also for another, older crime, which still affected the New York Police Department Mm -hmm. since it happened to one of their own. In 1926, the murder of 8-year-old Francis McDonald, the Staten Island cop's son who had been savagely attacked and strangled in the woods near his home. So it's May 1924, and in Chicago, a murder had occurred that loomed over that city for years to come. Two rich as white spoiled pieces of shit executed the quote-unquote perfect crime, Nathan Leopold Jr. and Richard Loeb. There were two University of Chicago students who drove around when they randomly selected a 14-year-old boy that they knew, Bobby Franks. So they got Bobby to get in the car with them, and after bludgeoning him with a chisel and disfiguring his body with hydrochloric acid, they got rid of the body by stuffing it in a drain pipe at the bottom of an abandoned ditch. And this was the story of the year, with the case dragging over 9 months. The story of two prominent rich white kids butchering a young poor kid overshadowed everything, which is why in July of that same year, the brutal murder of Francis McDonald was just a blip in the conscience of the public. And it wouldn't be until Albert Fisher's capture that the murder of Francis McDonald will be back in the papers. Francis McDonald lived in an isolated area in Port Richmond, Long Island, and not far from his home were the, was the Charlton Woods, a 10-acre section that belonged to the local fireworks company, which was also a favorite local hangout spot for the local kids. While well, 8-year-old Francis, the son of a Staten Island police officer, he had spent the early afternoon of Monday, July 14th just playing by himself on the front porch of his house. At around 2 p.m., his mom came out, and she saw an elderly man, dressed in a raggedy suit, with gray hair, and a gray mustache to match. Albert Fish. Oh, shit. As he passed Mrs. McDonald, he turned to her, tipped his hat, and kept on his way. He returned later that afternoon. Francis, who was with his younger brother, Albert, was now out playing in the street with the other boys from the block. Eddie, Tommy, and Jimmy Donovan so the five boys they were just chilling and playing when they noticed Albert standing close enough where they saw he was calling out to them but the boys ignored Albert and they kept playing except for Francis he walked over to Albert and by the time the boys noticed Francis wasn't playing with them he was gone Oh a neighbor who was relaxing on his porch was the last person to see Francis alive he saw Francis walking the grassy path that led into the forest Which was, you know, normal for any boy to do considering that was a spot. That's where they all the kids would go hang out at. Kick his spot. But what caught his eye was that walking close behind the boy was a grey mustached man. So now it's past supper time and Francis' parents were getting worried that he hasn't returned. And it wasn't until Albert told them about the grey haired man that called Francis away from their game that their father, Arthur MacDonald, who was a police officer and still in his uniform, stormed out of the house to look for Francis. By the next morning, a massive search for Francis was happening all throughout Staten Island. Everyone from the friends and family to the fucking Boy Scouts joined the hunt, which was who ended up finding the missing boy's body.
1: Yeah, I got the missing boy's body badge. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say, I wonder what badge they got. You know what (laughs) I mean?
0: It's the body of a dead corpse. Oh, Yes. The rarest of badges, a <laughs> dub, had been hastily concealed under a pile of branches and leaves. His pants and underwear had been torn off his body. He was strangled with the suspenders, which were twisted so tightly around his neck that they were buried in the flesh. Oh, no. And within the hour of the discovery of the body, more than 50 policemen were on the scene. The body was untouched until the police photographer was there to take a picture of the modeled corpse. By the next morning, over two hundred and fifty plainclothesmen had been assigned to the case. Arthur McDonald, the father, the boy's father, he worked for the Manhattan Police precinct, but he was transferred to Staten Island to help look for his son's murder. Calls flooded the Richmond police stations with reports about encounters with a quote unquote menacing looking stranger, as they put it. Many of these reports were similar to the one of the callers, Jenny Carlson.
1: And according to Jenny Carlson, she had been walking in Charleston's woods the previous Sunday when she happened to run into a man who looked to be in his late fifties, unkempt with gray hair and a thick beard, wearing blue pants and a dirty white shirt with no coat. The man was eating something out of both hands, with his face down and his body crouched over like an animal. As Jenny hurried past the man, he looked up and called out to her in a foreign language. Terrified, the girl began to run. When the stranger leaped up and began to chase her, when she reached a clearing close to her home, he stopped, turned around, and then went back into the woods.
0: Imagine being her! You're just walking in the woods, just, you know, you're just doing your mind and your business. This guy's just
1: crouching over, just...
0: just, yeah, just munching on something. And then you, you freak out and you run. You're like, oh shit. And then you look back and he's fucking chasing you. Fuck fucking for that. you, bitch. So, with the media frothing for the Leopold and Loeb case to begin, the New York media, like the Daily News, jumped at the opportunity to play up its own child murder to complete with the Chicago case ready to begin in a couple of days. So New York's like, oh shit, cool. Now we got our own child murder. Let's play it up. Let's newspapers were like, cool. Let's let's go. Let's go. My case is better than yours. Oh, because remember, they were all anticipating for the Loeb case, which was right. a high-profile case. Right. Yeah. So everyone's everyone's like, oh, Chicago got it. That's a Chicago case. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, oh shit, we got our own. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Which is kind of shitty. Y'all oh, shitty people. With the Daily Mail describing Staten Island as Overrun with old
2: men, morons, degenerative of all types, men picked out of the gutters and breadlines of New York City. At present, there are nearly 500 men on the poor farm, and many of them are known to be degenerates.
1: Way to play up the city.
0: Then, according to the New York Times...
2: The 60 square miles of territory in Staten Island include large areas of uncultivated land with woods and wild undergrowth, which are used as hiding places and meeting places by robbers, bootleggers, fugitives from justice and criminals of various kinds.
0: Making Staten Island look like a fucking Wild West, full of perverts and criminals was low key confirmed by two men who were picked up as suspects in the case Clyde Patterson and Jacob Gottlieb. And according to these perverts, which is according to the Daily News, the woods near the boys' home concealed a small area known as Rattlesnake Nest. And it was a place where all the child molesters gathered to, to participate in their orgies. What? It was like a fuck spot in the yeah. middle of the woods where all these perverts would just show up and just fuck. But when police went to check out this rattlesnake nest, they found an abandoned shack that was being used by local children
1: to play. Next to all these child molesters.
0: Well, that's the thing. These guys are like, yeah, this is an abandoned shack where all of us just go fuck. Yeah. Where's this place at? just so like, oh, soopty, whoa, whoa. Cool. The police show up and they show up and it's an abandoned shack and when they show up, there's kids playing there. So he's like, do they fuck the kids, or are they, are, are they guys fucking with us, or do the kids don't know that this is where they come to Like Something's fucky is happening. Yeah. Who's fucking who? Exactly. Something's fucking. <laughs> Whether it's fucking wrong, or they're fucking me, or they're fucking
2: each other.
1: <laughs> There's some fuckery happening exactly. here. Exactly. Some
0: fuckery is happening here.
2: What's uh same, bro? You can't unfuck what's been what's fucked. What's been fucked, and they got
0: fucked. So Clyde and Jacob, Damn. these two perverts, they were arraigned, but they were discounted as suspects. Just like the Bud case, there were numerous leads and tips that led to nowhere. Several suspects that came in and out of the police station, and as they were losing hope on catching the suspect early on in the case, the police decided to step up their search and go door to door in the Portman, Richmond district. Several promising leads and suspects were followed and arrested, but ultimately let go because of a lack of evidence. The autopsy report on the victim finally arrived. And they found the boy's stomach with raisins, uneaten raisins, which is what Albert used to lure Francis into the woods.
2: Hell no. Nah, uh, raisins? Raisins? That's what you're offering to me, son? Hell no. Nah. That's reason for me I to run some the fuck raisins. away. I got some right? raisins, boy. Would you like some? Get what the fuck what, out of my what face, do th- son? What do you think that's the equivalent
1: of now? Are you, you want some backies?
2: You want uh, 10,000 likes?
0: You want the likes? If you it, want the likes. No, if it's a little, If it's a little kid, hey, you want to play Fortnite?
1: Oh. All <laughs> no, little
2: kids like Fortnite.
1: Huh? Yeah. No, right now is Among Us, bro. Oh.
0: You want to play Call of Duty? Warzone?
1: <laughs> Try to get this
2: dub with the boys? <laughs> hey, hey, you want to hang out with the boys? Oh. <laughs> For what? To get the dub. All right. Cool.
0: Little did he know, here's the dub. Oh. Oh. Or the L. He's taking the L. (laughs) That's
2: why. That's why. Or the L. Sadly, now.
0: So the medical examiner, he also threw a wrench in the case, saying that by the condition of the corpse and the way he was ferociously beat, it couldn't have come from a man as old as Missus McDonald claimed Albert Fish to be. But she stuck to her story. She knew exactly what the killer looked like.
1: He came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself, making queer motions with his hands. Not like that, Josh. I'll never forget those hands. I shudder when I looked at them. I shudder every time I think of them. I saw him look towards Francis and the others. I saw his thick gray hair, his drooping mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray. I saw my neighbors, two police dogs, spring at him, and I saw Philip, the hired man to call him off. The gray man turned to me and tipped his cap. Then he disappeared. Yeah, like the way she was
0: describing it is she said that every time she closed her eyes, she would see Albert Fish just walking. And the thing he was doing, he was just doing this with his hands. He was just like closing his hands. Like, you know when your hands are climbing, You're like, why are my hands wet? Yeah. That's what he was doing when he was walking down the street. He mm-hmm. was just looking down, just doing that with his hands. Mm-hmm. And then these fucking dogs were going to fucking eat his ass. And the dude who was cleaning the house was like, "Oh, they called the dogs back. Yeah, And kind of, I was like, what the fuck? And he, he saw the lady. And that's when he like tipped the hat. Yeah. And, and he walked away doing that, Still like, doing that. that clammy climbing Yes, hands yes,
2: yes, yes.
0: So the citizens of Staten Island, they were fed up. And they got a chance to unleash their frustration on a poor, poor man named John Naskowski. John, he was a drifter, and he had been squatting at an abandoned shack on the south side of Stanton Island, just 10 miles from the McDonald home. For weeks, there had been stories about a pervert living in the woods who had been costing the local boys. John Eskowski was minding his business one afternoon when he was spotted in the woods. Sure that John must be the child molester in the woods, the teenager ran to the local gas station and alerted the guy behind the counter. With a pistol in his hand, he followed the boy back to the woods. John, thinking that the boy and the gas station attendant were bandits, he shot at them. And then a little gunfire happened back and forth. So John, he took off running and the boy and the gas station attendant, they ran back and called the police. And within minutes, a troop of mountain officers were in the woods, followed by over a hundred locally armed pissed off citizens. Everyone convinced that the killer for Francis had been found. God, Poor John. John was running for his life. And every once in a while he would stop and shoot at the mob. And they would shoot back. When Suddenly he was struck on his ribs. He fell to the knees. And seeing the ridiculous amount of angry people were charging at him. He put his gun to his temple and he pulled the trigger. He didn't immediately die. Oh, fuck. But he survived long enough to let them know that he was a farmer who had left his home after he had separated from his wife. And it was only after his death that the police found out that he was telling the truth. God damn it. Damn. That stupid teenager. He ain't lying. This incident made the newspapers, but by this time... Everyone was already paying attention to the Lode and Leopold case, as it had been underway for a few weeks now. The murder of Francis McDonald found its way out of the media, and, and outside of those closely affected by his death, it was just ultimately forgotten altogether. Months after the death of her son, made
1: one last attempt to the media. Help us catch the monster who murdered our little boy. Help us find The Grain Man.
0: So now it's February 11th, 1927. The day Billy Gaffney disappeared. And it was at the speed at which it happened that made what happened so hard to believe. So the Gaffney family occupied a small apartment on the second floor of a you know, shitty apartment building in Brooklyn. Billy Gaffney was playing in the dark alley of his home, in the dark hallway of his home, with his three-year-old neighbor, Billy Beaton. An older kid, 12-year-old Johnny McNiff, he was upstairs babysitting his baby sister when he heard his friends playing downstairs. So he made sure his sister was asleep, and he went downstairs to join his friends. Yeah yeah. So Johnny was with his friends for only a few minutes. They were playing in the hallway when he heard the cries of his now-awakened sister. So he fucked off to quiet his sister and put her back to bed. When he returned downstairs, both of the Billys were gone. Oh shit. Just then... Billy Beaton's dad came out from the apartment and saw Johnny looking confused. Johnny explained what happened and immediately he rushed to the Gaffney's apartment with Billy Beaton's dad. But the children weren't there. Scared that they may have run out into the street, the dad booked it down the two flights of stairs outside. But no one responded when he called out their names. Mr. Beaton's worry started to grow every passing moment he couldn't find the boys. With Johnny's help, he searched the whole building starting with the first floor. But the boys were nowhere to be found. But as soon as he reached the top floor, there alone by the ladder that led to the roof was his little three year old boy. Picking up his son, Mr. Beaton started asking, where'd he go? Billy responded that they were on the roof. That he saw that they saw chimneys and buildings and steamships. Mr Beaton saw the door that had been unlocked which was too heavy even for a child of the Gaffney boy to open, let alone his three-year-old Billy. So he started to worry. The tenants of the building, they all had small children, and they were all really careful on making sure that the wooden hatch on the door was closed at all times.
2: Where's Billy? Is he still up there?
0: His son shook his head no. Mr. Beaton, who only a moment ago was washed with relief, suddenly felt his throat tighten with anxiety. Where is he then? Billy's response was a response that you would expect from a three-year-old to give. You know, given how fucking stupid they still are. And it was that, unfortunately, the reason why police just chalked it up to kids being kids. And it wasn't until six years later that the police and everyone that day realized how right Billy Beaton had been.
1: The boogeyman took him.
0: The following day, 25 detectives had been assigned to the case, and they started by interrogating everyone who had seen Billy Gaffney alive last. And each time Billy Bean was asked what happened, he would repeat his story. But the Sergeant Joseph dismissed it
1: as just a three-year-old being a three-year-old. All children talk about the boogeyman when they sense trouble. The sergeant started to look for more
0: motives as to why Billy Gaffney might have been taken, and kidnapping was the first thing that came to mind. But it also made no sense. The Gaffneys were really poor. Anybody were, anybody looking for a ransom? They were just shit out of luck. Sergeant Joseph, he was mulling around the idea that maybe get Billy Gaffner wandered outside and decided to explore one of the buildings nearby and maybe got trapped inside. Or he had made his way to the canal, which was less than five blocks, and had an accident. So they sent two police officers and they spent all day searching in this canal digging through mud and shit, but found nothing. Over the next few weeks, the search for Billy Gaffney was one of the most extensive hunts in New York City history, with over 350 police officers joining in on the search. They searched every alley, every dark corner, and every dark basement. I mean, everywhere. And just like we learned with the Grace Buds case, being in the media spotlight also puts you in the crosshairs for assholes to prank call you and write shitty letters.
2: Your son is in safe hands. We fought for him, but I got him now. Do not show a letter to anyone if you know what is good for you. Again, I say that Bailey is safe and that we are experimenting on him.
1: That's fuck God crazy.
0: Damn. I don't know how he's safe if you're experimenting
1: yeah, on him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mean, you know what I mean? But
2: He's but, safe, but we're just going to fuck with him.
0: No matter how crazy these letters were, the cops read every single piece of mail in hopes of finding a clue to finding Billy Gaffney. So again the police went back to Billy Beaton and see if he could provide more info than his boogeyman claims. And according to the 3 year old, the stranger who had taken Billy Gaffney away was a thin old man with gray hairs growing on his upper lip. Sergeant Joseph had a hard time believing that Billy Gaffney had been taken, only because He assumed the only reason to kidnap a child was to use them as ransom bait. And under his logic, the kidnapping of Billy Gaffney made no sense. The Gaffneys were really poor, and they were not going to pay any reasonable ransom. There is no reason why anyone would want to take this child. The kidnapper would have to be deranged. He was right. Yeah. And this was just a few years after the murder of Francis McDonald. The son of the police officer who was snatched up, sexually assaulted, and murdered by a thin, gray, moustached old man. But no one connected the dots. No one connected Billy Beaton's gray boogeyman to the Francis McDonald gray man. As they entered the second week of investigation, the police continued to follow every lead, no matter how improbable they may have seemed to pan out. Whether it was investigating the two cousins of of Mrs. Beaton, who just a few years earlier she testified against, or even investigating Mr. Beaton himself. A neighbor told police that on the night that Billy disappeared, he saw Mr. Beaton running down down the street with a bundle in his arms. The police questioned him about the bundle, and he said that he did run out of the door with a bundle in his arms. But they were freshly washed clothes that he was taking to his wife, who had fallen ill because of the missing boy and was now in the hospital. Checking hospital records, his story checked out. After a month of investigating, the breaking police were running out of ideas and they even conducted a seance by a building contractor who was a part-time hypnotist named Harry Coolboyah one late night in March. The hypnotist put one of Mrs. Gaffney's cousins into a trance and asked him what he saw.
2: I see Billy in the spirit world. I see a man. He is leading Billy by the hand. The man is taking Billy to 286th Street. This is a red brick building, three stories with a bakery on the ground floor. They go into the bakery and the man asks for a cup of coffee. He buys Billy some buns and has difficulty getting him to eat them but Billy finally eats them. The man and Billy now walk down 16th Street, and when they reach 4th Avenue, the man seems to fade out of the picture. Billy continues to 3rd Avenue, then up to 15th Street. He stands at the curb. A woman appears and takes him by the hand. Billy goes north, walks to 12th Street, turns west, and passes some factory buildings. He reaches water. My God. He's going into the canal.
0: He's disappeared. This was what this hypnotist got out of Mrs. Gaffney's cousin. Right. Yeah. At first, I was like, why the fuck are you hypnotizing the the, the the kid's mom's cousin? Like, the uncle has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Why aren't you hypnotizing the mom or the dad or... Maybe Billy beaten the little kid. Yeah. But he hypnotized the
1: mom's cousin. like it's a random dude.
0: Yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Like, why? why? He's like,
1: don't tell anyone. I'm not actually a real hypnotist, but I'll pay you five bucks if you see all this shit. So this
0: premonition led to the police rechecking the canal and finding nothing relating to Billy. <laughs> yeah,
3: rechecked. <we> <laughs>
0: oh, shit. As time wo- trick. As time wore on, the public forgot about the Billy Gaffney story until it had finally disappeared from the city's newspapers. From time to time, an article would pop up in a where-are-they-now kind of style of article, but they were usually delegated to the back of the paper. On July 7th, 1929, more than two years after Billy Gaffney's disappearance, Mrs. Gaffney had been taken to Bellevue Hospital with severe chest pains. She had lost over 40 pounds since the day her son was taken, her health broken by her missing child. She also developed a severe infection of her tear glands from sleeplessness and constant weeping. Fuck, dude. She was released several weeks later, but her life remained a mess by the loss of her son. Often in her sleep, she would dream of Billy in the middle of the night. She would then wake her oldest daughter and tell her about her wonderful dream. Of Billy running up the steps, hammering on the door, crying, Mama, Mama, let me in. On holidays, she always set a plate for Billy. For the rest of her life, Elizabeth Gaffney would never recover from the loss of her son. Even after the truth came out years later, she refused to accept it, which was an understandable act of denial considering how macabre the truth turned out to be.
2: Did, see this is how we expected yeah mrs bud mom. yeah mrs bud too yeah but no,
1: no. <laughs> she's like how do you want me to pose this was you I mean, want me to look sad this is my good side to
0: miss i mean to the no yeah you're right That's i was two uh, years. i was gonna say i was gonna say this is only two years after her son died mrs bud was six but then we read for the rest of her life yeah she just never recovered oh, no but still
2: two years Maybe, like, six months, a year, I could see, like, oh, okay, she's in that state of denial. Two years, that's that's already, like, all right, this is going to affect her for the rest of her life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, from the second that the story of Albert Fish broke on December 14th, the Fish story enveloped its New York City readers in horror. And for the following two weeks, the Daily News covered every single piece of development, no matter how minute. For example, The Mirror and Daily News presented its readers with over-the-top, tabloid-soaked presentation of the facts and revelations. The Mirror did an excellent job of H.P. Lovecrafting the living shit out of their coverage, coming up with a thousand names for Albert Fish. In one article, one article alone, they described Fish like this.
1: It was so horrible, I cannot explain it with words. (laughs) The Ogre of Murder Lodge. The Vampire Man. The Orgiastic Fiend. The Modern Bluebeard. Oh, they brought the bluebeard in here. Well, the fuckers. All right. Listen to our episode. The Age Thrill Killer. The Werewolf of Wisteria. This in one article, in one little
0: article, this that's is how they, he described him? That's how they just every time they were talking about fish. <laughs> fish, the ogre of murder large. The orgiastic fiend.
1: The modern bluebeard. The werewolf bitch. If I were but, read it, if I were to read this article, I would be like, who are we talking about again?
0: Not stopping. They even went as far as tracing the route Fish took Grace on. God damn it. Leading to her death on the trip to Wisteria. They printed a sequence of photos, with each photo having its own sensationalized caption summarizing the horrible details that happened the day of Grace's murder. For example, a shot of the Bud's old department had this caption.
1: What were you doing on Sunday, May 28th, 1928? On that day, Albert Fish was killing Grace. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what damn what a caption <laughs> with a picture of their apartment there i mean that's what they did like it's <laughs> shitty might, but every, might, might as well say this on this day the the bud family allowed grace to go with an own man to get killed i mean i mean it sucks
0: it's shitty but
1: yeah that's how you sell
0: it's kind of cool though like you read it like they trace the whole stabs and they take pictures of like certain of certain things that hap- that you saw along the way, and they'd put like, "What were you doing on this day?" Oh yeah, were you getting choked? And with you know, it's hard. It's hor- suck, it's, it's horrible. But it's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Sounds like a corny.
1: It's smart. It smart. So- sounds like a corny ass like crime show. Well, oh, yeah. I mean,
2: that's yeah. what that's your
0: job. The media.
1: They did that for the whole route, and if that
0: wasn't enough, they tried to take credit for fish's capture as well. Who? The Daily News. Fuck those fools. Because remember, those fake stories that King would plant in the news. Remember on the last episode, I said we said that King would plant these fake stories in the news so people wouldn't forget about the case. Oh, that's right? Uh, okay. Yeah. So well, They're doing that. Well, the last story he planted was in the mirror, where they quoted Walter Winchell's column on how they were really close to capturing Howard Howard Frank, aka Albert Fish. Uh so they're like, well, we said it. We said we were going to We said we were we, we were going to catch him, and we caught him. See, we were right. We were right. We were right the whole time. Daily News went a different route, and they did their best trying to compare Albert Fish to the quote-unquote, the most bestial criminals in history. The Mirror started it by comparing Albert Fish to Bluebeard. you don't want to know more about Bluebeard, you check out the fire 92-part series <laughs> we did on Bluebeard. A.K.A. the Rays a few years ago. ten ten series, if you ask me. And
2: oh, shit's fired, son.
1: If, if you ask Moses, though.
2: Yeah, just him. <laughs> just fucking
0: him. He'll give it a 10 out of 10. But the comparison the Daily News made comparing Albert Fisch to the German psychopath Fritz Harman, the vampire of Hanover, was surprisingly on the money, as we're going to find out.
3: Ooh.
0: Born in 1879, Harmon was a sad and slow child who loved to dress up as a girl. When he turned 17, he was sent to the Hildesheim Asylum after being arrested for molesting a child. Six months later, he escaped to Switzerland, but eventually made his way back home. For a while, he tried to live a normal life. He worked with his dad in a cigar factory, he met a girl, got engaged, and even got her pregnant. But this was as normal as his life was ever going to get. For one, his dad absolutely fucking hated him. He would bash him every fucking moment, every second he could, he would just talk shit. And not only that, his wife ended up giving birth to a stillborn. Oh. So Harmon said fuck it, and he ran off to join the military. <laughs> he just said fuck
1: it. Say for me.
0: After his service, he ended up back home. But instead, he joined a smuggling ring that trafficked the black market meat and other things. It was during this time that he got caught red handed diddling a young boy again and was shipped off to prison again. Nine months later, after his release, I was like, nine months was his second. That That's pr- statement? his statement? This fucking stint for his second offense? I guess, I mean, tell me. Of- don't keep track. So, nine months after his release, he fell in love. Dick first. Dick what? Dick first. What's first? Dick. Mm. He fell in love dick first <laughs> with a handsome male prostitute named Hans Ganz. When I met he fell in love, Fritz was so horny for this dude. Super horny for him. How horny? Super. What's first? <laughs> Super. Just like su- he was throbbing for Hans. He was what? Throbbing for Hans. Can you repeat that? Throbbing for Hans.
2: It's throbbing, Achi. Dick, dick first. Dick first. Remember that. Achi, what's first? If
0: you guys were to see Hans Grans, you'll see why. Oh. Throbbing for him.
2: But why are you smiling, bro? So just
0: throbbing for him. <laughs> so together, these two assholes would prey on the young male refugees that were coming into the city. In the end, Harmon was charged with only 27 murders. But it was believed he was responsible for at least 50. So what they would do is they would lure the poor hungry kids back to the room where Harmon would feed him. And when the boy dropped his guard, Harmon would overpower him, and start biting his throat, what the fuck? chewing through the flesh until the victim was nearly decapitated. Oh, what and the fuck? And he did this every single day. Time. For at
1: least 50 of them? Oh,
0: shit. Then they would butcher the body and sell the meat at stake to the local market. Harmon only ate the flesh of the man he killed to keep himself alive. That's what? all he ate. Skin. Human flesh. Human meat. He was a cannibal. And the clothes that weren't covered in blood would be sold. Harmon was suspected of these killings, but police had no proof. That is until May 1924 when several skulls were found on the banks of the canal and then a few weeks later, a pile of bones left in a sack were found by a pair of boys who were playing on the beach. So the detectives that were on Harman's ass searched his apartment and they found piles of clothes belonging to young boys. Harman immediately confessed. He was tried and in early December 1924, he was found guilty and condemned to death. Rons was given life, but later his sentence will be reduced to just 12 years. While he was waiting to be executed, Harmon would go on to write a letter confessing and bragging about his kills, going into details about his murders. At his own request, he was beheaded by a sword in the city marketplace. That's what he wanted? That's what he wanted. He's like, I want to go out in style. So this was the piece of shit. That Albert's piece of shit ass was compared to. Damn. Rightfully so. With the irony being that when the police searched Fish's apartment and found that bag full of newspaper clippings, the one I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They found a sheath of clippings. And when the investigators began reading the articles, they found that Fish had cut out and saved every news story he could find containing the details of Fritz Hartman's crimes. So for the next few days, while the police were trying to piece together all the bones they kept finding and trying to keep their wisteria cottage from being overrun by looky-loos, reporters would dig and find more and more strange things that made Albert that much more of a character. For example, Fish's 21-year-old son, John Fish, the one that was sending John Fish those checks that ultimately got him caught, that son, he described his dad as being a firebug and loved the sights, sounds, and smells of burning houses. A few times, they had to physically stop Albert Fish from setting fire to their apartment. What the fuck? Come on son, just just one whiff. Just one smoke. Even more disturbing was the information given to police by a woman named Helen Carlson, who said she rented the upstairs bedroom to Fish and Fish Jr. in 1927. She said they had been living there for a few weeks, For Albert started writing his fucking gross letters. But these were aimed at her. Oh, shit. And he would slip them under the door. Remember, it was just, she was living downstairs and she rented two rooms upstairs. upstairs, Albert Fish and his son. That's it. That's it. No no one else is in the house.
1: Besides them three.
0: Them three. And she she had a little boy, but he was in her room. Right. Who else was going to fucking, in the middle of the night, she wakes up, there's a fucking letter and she reads it and it's this gross piece of shit. Like who who else was who else was gonna who else was gonna write it? I can picture Fish all dressed up, whistling, going down the
2: stairs. Not even remember his fucking his
1: What was his weird laugh that he had? Oh his the thing where he wouldn't that he couldn't laugh or he would just breathe and just, just oh, breathe hard. Just, yeah, 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 That's yeah. it will do as after you slip
0: the letter.
3: That's all you can going down the stairs. Just
0: <laughs> <laughs> And him doing the clammy hand thing, just <laughs> <laughs>
2: God damn, that is a character. Holy shit.
0: Well, it wasn't until the second time he did it that she kicked him out. The yeah. first time, she's like, look, I'm going to let it slip. I'm going to let it slide. Maybe it fell. I need the cash. I need the cash. I could uh, play it so out a little more. So they moved out. She? They moved out. So she kicked him out. And the following week, they booked it. So when she went to clean their rooms in the attic above Fish's room, she said she found a paddle full of nails. Covered in blood, wrapped in one of her cloths. Uh Uh-oh. She wasn't the only lady who came in with a story about Albert. Mrs. Mrs. Alonzo LaFerter, who lived near the cottage where Grace Budd was killed, claimed that Fish had tried to lure away her little daughter by promising to show her, quote-unquote, funny pictures. Another young girl who was 11 years old saw Fish's picture and told reporters that when she was five, Albert Fish accosted her in 1928. These were just two of hundreds of reports coming in by Albert Fish and his many almost victims. Damn. Fish was also visited by various law enforcements, trying to connect him to almost every unsolved child murder in the Northeast. Long Island police were trying to connect Fish with the murder of a 15-year-old girl, and Lieutenant Anderson was trying to link Fish to a decapitated body of an unknown child in Darien, Connecticut. So it is now December 17th, and while being transferred to the visitor's room, Albert was able to make a quick statement to the mob of reporters covering his case.
3: I wouldn't lie. My conscience is clear now, and I want to keep it that way. I did kill Grace but God help me. But don't you believe those other stories telling about me.
0: So the funny part is when they were transferring them, they went from one building to another. Yeah. And when they were transferring them, they had this chicken wire, you know, those fences? Yeah. Uh, separating him from the reporters. Right. And when they were moving him, he, he's arrested and he managed to like finger his... His, his hands onto the, 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 onto the gate, onto the, the fence. I don't and, the, to and the police were trying to drag him. And while they're trying to drag him, this is what he said. He was like, how would it lie? Like that's, like, that's the only thing. Oh. So they're like, don't believe the shit they're saying about me. So in the visitor's room, Albert was writing a detailed autobiography that the New York City Press would publish.
3: I was born May 19th, 1870 in Washington, D.C. My father was Randall Fish, 32nd degree Mason, and he is buried in the Grand Lodge ground of the Congressional Cemetery. My father dropped dead October... <laughs> Who the fuck says that? My father dropped dead. Fish. All right. My father dropped dead on October 15th, 1875 in the old Pennsylvania station where President Garfield was shot. I was placed in John's Orphanage in Washington, and I was there until nearly nine, and that's where I got started wrong. We were unmercifully whipped. I saw boys doing many things they should not have done. I got an apartment and brought my mother up from Washington, and that's where I met my first wife. After our six children were born, she left me and took all the furniture and didn't even leave a mattress for the children to sleep on.
0: So then he started talking about how he missed his kids. And when he was talking about his children, he started crying and, like, wiping his tears with, like, this little shitty, like, little handkerchief. Like, I learned from his you know? butt. Yeah, like, he's, like, doing all this shit. Like, he's, no, no, like, he's, like, like, like legit crying. But, yeah. like, it seemed a little forced. But the news reporters, they didn't care. He was, like, talking about his children. Yeah, you know, when well, my son was six years old, I remember this, la, la, la. And mid-conversation about his children, they were just like, tell us about the murder. <laughs> like, tell us about the murder.
1: How to taste.
0: So he rubbed his head. He, like, he rubbed his head in that annoying way. That like, like the, God damn it, they're not buying the story. Fuck. He was just like, yeah, they're just like, tell us about the murder. And he's like, I already said it like a million times. Like, why do I why, why want me to repeat it? He's like, I had gone over the story. It shut shit a ton of times already. But they insisted. They wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth, from the source. He started describing how he led Grace to the old house of Mysteria under the impression they were going to his niece's party.
3: I let her play in the yard for a while, and then I called her upstairs. It was around four o'clock when I killed her. It was a terrible thing to do. She was such a nice little girl. As soon as I had killed her, I wanted to give my life to have her stand there instead of me. It wasn't until I went back to Hysteria and put her out behind the wall that I could sleep again. They've asked me about other crimes, but I can't tell what I don't know. I can't lie. My conscience is clear.
0: And then Fish went into the self pitying story of the evil in his life that influenced what he did, like about his brother coming back from the war with his dirty stories, to like the horrors he experienced back in the orphanage. He was just trying to put blame, you know, so he could
1: justify his, yeah, people have pity on him.
0: And he would say over and over again that life meant nothing to him anymore, that life had no meaning. But, for someone who didn't care about his life, this motherfucker sure asked a lot of questions about the outcome of his case. He would literally be all stoic and say some shit like, I'm ready to die for my crimes. And then immediately start asking, like, if they thought he might be charged with second degree, second degree murder. So he'd be like, I'm ready to die for my, I'm ready to
1: die for my crimes.
0: But do you think they'll charge with first degree or second degree? Like I'm, do you think, like, I'm not really dying, dying, right?
1: My, my, my on Bell, or like during,
0: like during interviews, he would interrupt the conversation and just randomly ask if they thought they would give him the chair. So he's, asked, he's like, I don't care about living life, and I don't care about dying anymore. I'll pay the, I'll pay the price for my consequences. Hey, you y'all, y'all think I'm gonna go to jail? Or y'all think I'm gonna get, get the chair? Okay. Like he would ask these questions, like he was like, like dude, you care? You just. You're just playing it up like you're at the end. Like you're you're shitting it now. Like you're starting like you're starting to show. And it was clear as shit that he was doing everything in his power to try and kill the narrative, that he was some sort of monster. The boogeyman, as everyone called him. He would speak to reporters and often remind them that if it wasn't for him being a nice guy and willing to show the officials where he killed Grace, they wouldn't have found a score or anything. He kept telling them, hey, remember, if it wasn't for me. I wouldn't God. have found Grace. The dude who killed this innocent little girl. But he kept insisting that Grace was the only child he killed. He would deny and deny everything when it came to anyone that wasn't Grace. And he would even say that the thought of cannibalism made him sick when they brought up anything regarding cannibalism. The DA's office, they weren't stupid either. And they knew that once they were in court, Albert and his defense, they were going to try and play the insanity card. So... They jumped ahead of it and they hired two different psychiatrists or alienists, as they were called during those days. Called alienists? Alienists. What? That's what they call psychiatrists. Why? I don't know. They call them alienists, which I think is a better name than psychiatrist.
1: Jose Soria, the alienist.
0: What'd you do today? I saw my alienists. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds way better. So they hired two different alienists to examine Fish before the trial. While this was going on, one of Albert's famous letters was turned in to the police. Here's a small excerpt of that letter.
3: Dear Madam, I'm a widower with three boys, 13, 15, 19, and I wish to board out until the two youngest are through school. I want good plain food, clean beds, and laundry done. I prefer a widow who has a girl old enough to aid her. Henry and Johnny have caused me a lot of trouble by not going to school. Their principal said to me if they were her boys, she would spank them both three times a day for a month and give John a dose of that cat O Nine nine tails at bedtime I have no time to do this and besides I think whipping children is a woman's job I want a good motherly woman who can and will assume charge of the three boys make them obey you and when they don't take down their pants and spank them good Robert is feeble-minded due to a fall Though he's going on 20 he's built and strong he's much easier to spank Though he kicks like a mule. God damn. I want a woman who will whip any one of the three or all three at once if needed be. Our own doctor says if Bobby's not spanked when he gets cranky, he might lose his reason. So he must
1: be spanked. It's starting to sound kinky. What the fuck? So the letter went on and on. About spanking. And on... A little going of be able to slap ass. So they take one cheek and then take the other cheek. A
2: little slap ass.
0: So let, yeah. A little
2: slap ass.
1: The letter went on and on and on
0: about how they should be spanked and whatnot. The letter had been mailed just 10 days after the buds had received their own, my dear letter, from Albert. So Fish was going to be charged in Westchester for a charge of first-degree murder. But they were also looking to indict him on kidnapping charges in Manhattan, just in case he got an acquittal, so they're covering their bases. Like, we're gonna charge him for both. We're gonna charge him for fir- tra- charge him first in when in Winchester for
1: murder. If that doesn't stick, we're charging for kidnapping in Manhattan. The, the little uh, girl who sells tacos came in and was just like, qué no los us?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, why don't you just charge him for like everything? Like, do you have to charge him for one crime only?
2: I don't know. Based on jurisdiction, I guess
1: they agree.
0: So, with only three days left before the trial, police rushed to try and track down as many witnesses and leads that could be used against Albert Fish. For example, they were in search. They were in search of Grace's Bud's dentist, who worked on her teeth, who the police would hope could verify that the teeth in the skull weren't indeed Grace's Grace's Bud's teeth. But the police, they cannot locate the man. Back at the Wisteria house, the police were searching for the missing butcher knife that was used on Grace Bud, and the hat and coat that Albert claimed he stuck under the stone. What they did find was loose pearls in the same area as the bones suspected of being Grace's. The police were hoping that with no butcher's knife or coat that maybe the pearls would be enough to put Albert away. Without any other evidence. Everything kind of hinged on the bones they found actually being Graces. So right now they only have subs- they, they don't have anything on Albert Bud except for his own admission. He could easily go up on the trial and be like, "They made me tell. They made me say it. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I'm not. They beat me and made me fucking say it was Quote me." Unquote, confess because they don't yeah. have a body. They don't have a motive. They don't have anything. Mm-hmm. The three weapons they say I have, well, where are they? You guys only found two because they, they can't find the knife. They found the axe and they found the uh, the saw. But, but the butcher knife? They can't find the butcher's knife. And the, the butcher's knife is what he used to cut yeah. her, to cut to cut her off her head. Uh-huh. So he's like, you guys said I had three weapons, but there's only two. What happened to the third one? So yeah. they don't have any evidence. They can't, so they're struggling. They're like, All right, we have three days <laughs> to get as much evidence as we fucking can. Our only hope is that body is Grace's. So on Tuesday, after dropping off All the bones both precincts found, Dr. Morton began comparing the bones that they believed to be graces to that of the skeleton of a 12-year-old child that was in the college museum. Judging by their size and texture, Dr. Morton concluded that the bones found were nearly the complete skeleton of a child who had not yet reached puberty. The other bones that were found in the house and underneath the floorboards and behind the chimney walls Belonged to different kinds of four footed animals, that of a dog, of a pig, and cow. Everyone was doing their homework about Albert Fish. The investigators in Brooklyn were making some progress in trying to link Albert Fish to the Gaffney disappearance. On Wednesday, they got the break that they were waiting for. A man named Joseph Meehan, who was disabled by a stroke, used to work as a driver of a trolley line. On February 17, 1927, It was Meehan and his co-worker Anthony Barone that noticed the strange looking old man with the crying child in the back of a trolley. It wasn't until Albert Albert Fish's murder of Grace Budd that they realized that they had been witness to the abduction of little Billy Gaffney. Meehan only remembered when he saw Albert's face in the paper and everything just rushed back to him. And he remembered seeing him, the old man, with the crying child. So he called the police and after being questioned for over an hour, Lieutenant Joseph Elmer, who had been in charge of the Gaffney case, was convinced that they had solved their case. So they arranged for me and him to get picked up and together with Anthony Barone, they would identify Bill Gaffney's kidnapper. So The next day, both men were seated in the lineup room when nine men were let into the platform. Barone thought he recognized Fish, but he couldn't really remember if that was him or not. But Meehan, he had no doubt. The second he saw fish, he said, that was the man.
1: I'm positive that's him. I would remember him anywhere. He looks the same now as if he did back then, just without his overcoat.
0: And in the next 24 hours, the story will be carried in every newspaper in the city.
1: The boogeyman who had kidnapped
0: Billy Gaffner seven years ago had just been identified as Albert Fish. And the shock of Albert Fish being the boogeyman was just being felt when the investigation of Fish took another dramatic turn. Another one. On Friday morning, Fish was to be transferred to the county jail to wait for his trial for the Bud murder to begin, but instead of taking him directly to the car to get transferred, he was led into the courthouse detention pen where a man was brought in who walked over to fish and stated, That's him. The man was named Hans Kiel, and 10 years before, he used to live in a farm in Port Richmond. In February 1924, his 8-year-old daughter had been approached by a gray-mustached man who offered her a nickel to show him where to find a certain flower. Luckily for the girl, the mother had appeared, and Albert scared away. That same night, Kiel discovered the gray-mustached man trying to sleep in his farm but he was chased off his property so the police questioned fish for a couple of hours and after saying he never seen Keel before in his life he admitted that he did look a little familiar and that maybe he had seen him like in an affair or something the police knew he was lying so they let fish know that in the coming days that keel's wife and daughter were going to come down and see if fish was that man they claimed of him being so while police were searching for more eyewitnesses who could link Fish to the Staten Island murder of Francis McDonald. a Brooklyn man came forward, Benjamin Iceman, with a story that investigators found interesting. Hmm. Benjamin said that when he was 16, fresh from arriving from Russia, he was sitting in a park bench when Albert Fish sat next to him. They sparked up a conversation, and after finding out that Benjamin had been a painter's assistant, Fish told him that if he was looking for a job, he would hire him as he needed a painter's assistant. Benjamin agreed, and Fish told him, follow me. So they boarded a train, and Fish led the boy to an abandoned shack, where he told the boy to wait for him, that he was just going to get his tools. As soon as Fish disappeared, an elderly negro, as Benjamin described it, appeared and warned him.
1: Listen, son, you better get out of here. A lot of kids have gone in there and never came out. Benjamin, not being an idiot, bucked up
0: at home and told his mom what happened. Mama. Who immediately went to the police. Benjamin recognized that man as being fished from seeing his picture in the local paper.
1: I would never forget that face. If I could hear his voice, I would recognize him without seeing him.
0: So while Brooklyn police were looking for Benjamin's file, four more witnesses arrived to view fish. Another uh, one. But Fish refused to not only speak to them, but he didn't even want to be seen. This part is comedy. So when they arrived, Fish covered his face with newspaper. So they then pretended to leave, and they jumped back out from the hall to try and sneak a look at Fish. And Fish, he retaliated by kneeling down onto his bed and burying his face in the blankets. Surprise, bitch. I got you, bitch. So once again, they pretended to leave. They did that whole, like, walking thing where they feel like they're walking away. I'm gonna go now. But they tiptoed back and jumped, and Fish was caught off guard. Then Fish went to hide his face again. But it was too late. (laughs) Beatrice Keel declared that Fish was the old man who had offered her the nickel to accompany him into the woods. That's him. The same woods which Francis McDonald had been killed. Christmas Eve was the first day since Fish had no one come by to interview, interrogate, examine, or inspect him. Late that afternoon, he asked if he could see a minister. Christmas Day, he joined the other inmates for a special chicken dinner and then was visited by the reverend he requested. They prayed together and afterwards, Fish asked if he could have a pen and paper to write some letters. The father informed the prison officials of Fish's request, and they told him, and they told the reverend that it would be smarter if they gave Fish a pencil, as they knew the type of things Fish might do with a pointed metal object.
1: Chain.
0: Like, look, the pencil's better. Don't give him the pen. He might stick it up his ass. <laughs> and it was on the 27th of December... That's what he did, right? ...that Benjamin's story was verified by police, and together with the witness accounts of Kios, the district attorney announced that they were going to seek an indictment against Albert Fish for the murder of Francis McDonald.
1: Ooh.
0: On December 21st, the two alienists arrived to evaluate Fish's story. They spent over three hours examining him in the cell, and according to them, he spoke freely and frankly about the darkest secrets of his life. Amongst the things he discussed, Fish revealed that as an act of contrition for killing Grace Budd, He had bought a pack of sewing needles, and using a thimble, he shoved five of them behind his testicles, so deeply that they had permanently remained in his body. Though they wanted to discredit this, they knew enough about Albert to not put anything past him, and if he was telling the truth, it made sense, considering how he walked and how slowly he would sit down as he was suffering from some pain between his legs. So on December 28th, prison officials decided to check the old man's story. Check his nuts? Close. He was given an x-ray. Oh. And scattered throughout the areas of the old man's dick and lower abdomen, there were a number of needles between his hip bones. The doctor knew that these couldn't have been swallowed considering the area they were in. The only logical conclusion was that Albert Fish's Like sticking needles up his gooch. Fish had been telling the truth, at least, sort of, because he said he had stuck five needles up his gooch. But after counting and recounting, the doctor found 27, not five, but 27 needles lodged inside the old man's body. Okay, bro, you, you missed another 22. You sure about that? That same day, December 28th, all the Swedish newspapers went wild with the story of the result of Fish's examination. Old man likes needles up his ass. But according to the two alienists, there was no question in the minds that Albert Fish was
1: legally sane. <gasps> oh, he knows what he's doing.
2: He's sane. Kinky, disgusting, but sane.
0: And that is where we will end part two of our Albert Fish series. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. the old man who likes
2: sticking needles up his ass. What do you he think, Hutch? gooch? Did you stick twenty-seven, not five, but
0: twenty-seven needles up your gooch? I'll, I'll, I'll,
1: yeah, and I'll and I'll say that it was actually fifty. Sick fuck.
0: Yeah. So that is where we will end part two of our Albert Fish series. This is getting crazier. He's finally in jail. They're finally putting together, m- linking him to all, all the cases. all the other cases, and Fish is starting to feel the heat.
1: But I mean, he's still denying everything besides Grace.
0: Yeah, but like the fact that he's fucking hiding his face so they don't see him is kind of telling. You know bro, what I mean, bro? Yeah. But now he can't plead insanity. Nope. Now they have two f- official aliens saying, "Nope,
1: he is sane." My boy knows what he's I doing. What
2: criteria? What are they using? Like he's off by one to considering him insane. Like,
0: well, the fact is they were asking him questions. He was responding normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he okay. was talking. You know, he wasn't like dazing off or doing yeah. anything. He was. I don't. Know, he should have. Maybe he should have tried it. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe he was too proud or something. But they're like, nope, not insane. He's like you guys said. He's perverted. He's a monster. He's an asshole, but he's not crazy. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew what he was. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And what he did. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys enjoyed part two. Like I said, I'm, it was supposed to be a two-part series, but there was so much information. Like, I'm, I'm happy. I'm glad. You know what I mean? And um, one other thing too, mm-hmm. it's Halloween when this episode comes out. So happy Halloween. Woo! I know nobody's in doing shit. Yeah. So you're partying with people. Shame on you because we're supposed to, still supposed to be social distancing. How
1: dare you? Six feet, bitch. Hey. Get the fuck away from
0: me! I say that while we're all together in my (laughs) room, fucking recording. But another thing too that I wanted to say is, we reached hundred thousand downloads. One hundred thousand downloads. All right,
1: time to party. Let's go out without masks. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's all thanks. That's a fucking ton. That's a shitload of fucking. It took us two and a half years to two to a little over two years to reach fifty k. And it took us less than a year to reach the other 50,000, which is bananas. And
1: that's all it's thanks crazy, to you all. It's y'all y'all sharing, mm-hmm. talking to your friends about us, saying how shitty we are, so they're trying to figure out how ri- shitty we really are. Appreciate that.
0: Yeah, so it's a ri- it's a stupid number, but it's a fucking huge number then. Blue when I checked the other day, I was like, "Holy shit, we reached a 100 Thousand 100, downloads.
1: 100,000.
0: 100,000. I was hoping to reach 100,000 before our four-year anniversary, which is in March. Ah. So we still have five months. I wonder in five months what we'll be Ooh, from now. That's true. That's you know what I mean?
1: That's our four-year? No, I think what? so.
0: We've been doing this shit for four years? or well, maybe three years. Maybe this is going to be our third. Yeah, it it's sounds be our like we will be
2: doing it for like a couple of weeks, but... I think <laughs> we are doing this for four years, almost four years. Fuck not gonna no, I, flies, think going to lie. The thing we're going for, we're going for three. Yeah,
0: yeah. 2017. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we're going yeah. for our 30. So in March, is going to be our, th- May, May, sorry. in May is going to be our third year. Uh-huh. Shit, so we still have like eight, like half a year. I wonder, I wonder what we're going to, I wonder what the numbers are going to be by our third anniversary. One thousand. Yeah. <laughs> this is our prime,
2: bro. This is our peak. We're not getting any any more downloads. Um. But yeah. Enjoy it. this, bathing it. It's fucking nuts. Hey, where's uh you, you should have surprised us with uh the the Instagram IG one hundred thousand uh balloons, you know, that one hundred K. That's a thing. That's a thing, bro. You know how it's like gold. Thank you for the one million followers and oh, shit. Okay, okay. Yeah. You should have done that. And we could take a picture behind that. That would've been great. I brought you guys Doritos?
1: He bought us Doritos. bought Doritos. you a hot dog. Oh, you know what? He, he got me a rock star.
0: All yeah, right. I bought you a you fucking hot dog.
1: Who's yeah, this? Cyberpunk? Yeah, you're
0: right. You're right. Shout
2: out Sammy 7 Spicy bite. Bomb as fuck. The
1: Doritos. Carry Slamas. on, Moses. So, yeah. So, thank
2: what you, guys. You got for us?
0: Well, I ain't got shit. I'm done. Good, good, good. <laughs> i tired. Good. good. Same, same, tired. same, same. So, same. again, this ep- this, uh, today's episode, this whole series couldn't have been possible without Harold Schechter's you the shocking true story of America's most fiendish killer. And if you all like
2: drinking stouts and you haven't tried the Belching Beaver peanut butter milk stout, you are missing out. If you're a fan of peanut butter and a fan of stout, you should give it a try.
0: All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Happy Halloween. Stay safe. Try not to, try not to, try not to let any old man lure you into the woods with some raisins or
1: nickel. Or or, or, nipples, or, funny <laughs> or funny stories. <laughs> or
2: no, funny stories. Y- you know that- oh, funny oh, pictures. Oh, funny, funny, <laughs> funny pictures.
0: Yeah. That might get me. That yeah, me too. I love memes, bro. So if someone's like, hey you want gotta some I got memes? Got want to I got see, unseen
2: memes, I'll be like, yo. <laughs> now, you want to see some memes? What you got, son?
0: I'm going do like the Birdman like the Birdman hand clap thing and just be like, oh. I'll be doing fucking uh You walk up to him with Show me the funny pictures. Yeah you're gonna walk up to him
2: Wait, that's how he approaches me? That's how you going to
0: approach
1: him. <laughs> <laughs> during the Shout
2: comments.
1: my free Kim. I'll be like, man, I chose Dude, the he's, wrong he's, fucking kid. He's going be like, man, you're making fun of me. I'm going to go to my mama. <laughs> does <the> <laughs> All
0: right, guys. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, mm-hmm. You guys can follow us on Instagram, Weird History, tells Pod. The link is on the episode show notes. You guys can find the book, episode show notes. Um, You guys can rate and review us. Just follow the link on the episode show notes. And if no one has anything else to add, uh, happy Halloween, and as always, we are the Weird
1: History. It retails pod, but, but I mean he he old old right.